So would it be a fair assessment to say of this generation that we are enamored, attracted, even seduced by the immediate? We like things fast, don't we? Uh, I love the, the delete button. I love the delete thing. You just swipe, you know, some marketing thing comes on your, your desktop and you just swipe and gone. It's gone. It, it beats the old days when you had a magazine, you know, and it has all those cardboard things in it, you know? I have to rip all those things out before I can really enjoy a magazine. I just can't stand it turning to the page it wants to go to. I, I, I want to be able to leaf through myself. Uh, so I, I think we're, we really like the, the slicker, the quicker, the faster, the better to us. We like that. Uh, like the fact that we can just punch our pin number in and cash flows out of a machine. That's assuming you have cash in the machine. Or that you can just drive up to a sign, speak to it, drive to another window, and the full meal deal is waiting for you. Now, this, this um, love affair we have with the immediate, with the convenient, the right away, puts us in conflict regularly with the ways of God. Because our eternal God deals regularly in years and centuries. We want a, a high-speed God we can download quickly and get what we want right away. And if we don't get what we want right away, we are tempted to look to other conveniences, something that might be nearby, a quicker solution. We've been studying over the last couple of weeks Isaiah and this lead up to Christmas. And we encountered last week the king, king Ahaz, the king of Judah, who wanted a quick solution to a problem that he had. Syria and Israel were bearing down on him. So he turned to the Assyrians who appeared more convenient, right there, available, and seemingly pretty powerful, rather than turning to God. Remember Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we want to continue on with the story and the situation and see what happened. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 8 this morning. In Isaiah chapter 8, the Lord reasserts himself as the dominant power over world affairs. The ultimate reality behind the far lesser and tentative realities on which we so readily rely. It doesn't matter how sharp your new 4K smart TV is if God decides to destroy the transformer in your neighborhood, does it? I'm going to give you a definition of reality. Maybe you've thought of it before, maybe you never have, or maybe you don't have a definition of reality, or maybe you have a wrong definition. Here's the definition of reality. Reality is God. Think about it. Every other thing that happens is just an effect from the ultimate reality. Now, we look around ourselves and we think, well, that's, real. that's reality, that's reality. Listen, God is reality. Reality is God. He, he's the one who actually commands or tweaks the universe at his will. So everything else is an effect 
of the reality, which is God. If you, if you allow that to settle itself in your life, it will transform the way you look at everything. God is your ultimate reality. So in the, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, we come upon the prophet Isaiah again being spoken to by the Lord. In this text, in this particular chapter, he speaks to him three times. He says this, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen. Now, I want to catch you up just in case you've forgotten where we uh, came from last week in Isaiah 7, which, by the way, was historically a record of the time in 2 Kings chapter 16. In that particular situation, as I said to you, the Syrians and Israel was bearing down on the southern two tribes, the tribe of Judah. King Ahaz, rather than turn to God, makes a contract, a deal with the Assyrians. So the Assyrians come and chase away Syria and Israel. So excited is King Ahaz, supposedly the king who's representing the people of God, that he goes to Damascus, which had now been conquered by Assyria, and he goes to their pagan worship complex in Damascus, surveys it, gets excited about it, draws a picture, and sends it back to Uriah the priest in Jerusalem and says, I want you to rearrange the temple of the living God to reflect the worship setting in Damascus, if you can imagine. So the last time God was viewing a picture and a drawing, it was from King Ahaz, who was suggesting that the Jerusalem worship system of God be transformed into the system of pagans. So much so that he took the sacrificial bull that God had designed and he moved it off to the north corner of the temple, refashioned it to look like the Damascus altar, and there he said to Uriah the priest, I will worship and sacrifice at this altar, but I will seek direction from the Lord at this altar. Now that may sound like an, an ancient, odd kind of worship relic that is, is left and stranded in history. But quite honestly, folks, if we pay attention to the way we're living, it is highly probable or possible at very least that we are also worshiping the gods of the people around us, that we are we are involved in idolatry around us, but on Sundays, waltz in and listen to the instruction of the Lord. No different than what King Ahaz was doing. Therefore, what God has to say to us today is incredibly contemporary. The, the, the message of Isaiah 8 speaks to our setting. It's not just an ancient problem. It's our setting. And so God says to Isaiah I want you to draw a picture for me. I've seen the picture that King Ahaz sent. Now I've got a picture. So I want you to take a scroll, and I want you to grab a pen, and I want you to write this down. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Try and say that three times in a row quickly. 
you're going to learn some Hebrew this morning, and you're going to learn this, ver- this word because we need to know this and not forget it. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. We pick up the story. And I will call in Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of uh, Jeberechiah, as reliable witnesses for me. Then I went to the prophetess, in other words, his wife, Isaiah's wife, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. It's one thing to write it on a piece of paper. It's another thing to hang it on your kid for the rest of his life. Remember I talked to you about that Ricky thing in the nursery a few weeks ago? It's better than this uh, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, don't you think? Before the boy knows how to say Abba, my father, or M, my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Now the Lord speaks to me a second time. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliel, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river. Now the river was known, of course, to the ancients as Euphrates, the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria, with all his pomp, will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it. Pay attention to the picture here. Passing through it and reaching up to the neck, its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. The Lord spoke to me now a third time with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread and he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I. And the children the Lord has given me, we are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law, to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. Looking upward, will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into outer darkness. This is the word of God to us this morning, beloved. Our Father, I pray 
now as our hearts are bowed before you, that you would open up our minds, our wills. Lord, what a gracious God you are to give us your word and invite us to know your heart, to warn us, to urge us to come back, to call us to loyalty, O oh God, to offer us a legitimate choice, to throw all our hopes behind you. O oh God, this morning we, I pray for forgiveness. I ask you to forgive us as a congregation for failing to be loyal, for looking to the immediate looking for replacements to, to you, O oh God. Father, it is so abundantly clear it is in our best interests to serve you alone, to wait on you, to trust in you no matter what, O oh God. And I pray this morning for our people here. Lord, how my heart goes out to them and first searching my own heart, and then, oh God, as we search our hearts, would you please drive home this powerful message to us, and may we welcome it, and may we, by your strength, make the necessary adjustments in our life, oh God. In the event that we have been turning to Assyria and not the Lord, Oh, God, for Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. So which reality is dominating your life? Almighty God or the effects of His reality? Replacements, other choices. King Ahaz had a pragmatic addiction to the Assyrians and their superstitions. And God was saying in this text, I'm about to move the timelines that I had already given to King Ahaz. I'm, I'm about to move judgment ahead. I'm about to tweak the universe because that's what I get to do. I'm the Lord Almighty. I'm the great God, the great I am of heavenly hosts. All power in the universe is resident in me. So jot this down, Isaiah. Jot this down. I offered King Ahaz Emmanuel, the grand, gracious offer of my presence. And Ahaz is sticking with Assyria. So the Lord lays down four choices here in this text. You can pick this or you can pick that. Each one of them become obvious to us which we should choose. These are not choices just for King Ahaz. These are choices for us. He is offering to us critical decision today about whether or not we will choose to be loyal to God. And the first is this. You can have Emmanuel, or you can have Mahar Shalal Hajbas, but you can't have both. Emmanuel means God with us in Hebrew. 
Mahar Shalal Hajbas means quick to the plunder or quick to the spoil. You can have God with you or you can have plunder and spoil in your life. I have, as I have studied this text over the years, I've become convinced that it's highly possible that the Christmas offer was actually offered right here to Isaiah. Now keep in mind, the offer of, my, of Messiah dates back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve in the garden were first offered Messiah. Messiah, the, the, the language of the offer of Messiah is fed through all of the scriptures. This is another place in Isaiah 7 is the offer of Messiah. And as I've studied this over the years, I've become convinced that this was another offer of Messiah that was turned aside. Rather than have Messiah, they chose Assyria, Tiglath Pileser III, imagine. And so instead of the child being called Emmanuel, the child is now named Mahar Shalal Hajbaz. Isaiah's kid is going to walk around in the community with this name, Mahar Shalal Hajbaz, a constant reminder to the community that you chose Assyria instead of God. The child's sign was changed, and the timeline with respect to exile was changed. Remember, last week we talked about it being 12, 13 years from then. Now the timeline has moved up to before this child can say M, which is mama, or Abba, which is father. Now you tell me, how old is it before a child can say dada or mama? Under two years of age? So in under two years... This judgment is coming upon the people because they had traded God for Syria. So you can have in your life Emmanuel or other things as replacements for him that will swiftly move you to plunder, swiftly move you to spoil. The Lord speaks to him a second time. Notice in the text, verse 5 and following. And he tells him that um, you can either be carried away by the gentle, you can be carried by the gentle waters of Shiloh or be swamped by the floodwaters of the Euphrates. The alternative God that you are turning to, which will carry you and will take over your life. Here, here's the picture. All these years, God had been providing water to his people. He'd been providing water from the spring of Gahan, which is in the far west side of the Kidron Valley. This spring had never failed to provide water to Jerusalem. It had trickled down into Jerusalem and gone under the, under the city of Jerusalem and had resurfaced 
and pooled in Jerusalem called the Pool of Siloam. If you read the New Testament, you know about this pool. It wasn't impressive. It was a meandering little spring and much of it was under the ground. Not impressive, not mighty. Couldn't sail a boat on it. Didn't look very impressive and it always seemed like maybe it will dry up and we won't have water. But God said, have I ever failed to provide you the gentle waters of Shiloh? But rather you're enamored whenever in the Bible it talks about the river. It's talking about the Euphrates. This impressive, powerful, mighty river. God's not talking about water and rivers and streams and springs. He's talking about a choice for God or a choice for Assyria. Oh yeah, Assyria had a, a real impressive resume. Their track record was quite successful. They had army that was a feast for the eyes. Chariots, horses, weaponry, powerful soldiers, chasing Syria away, chasing Israel away. But God says to them here, Assyria is like the Euphrates River at flood time. It won't stay in its riverbanks. It will flood over its banks. It will not remain domesticated and under control. It will sweep over you and swirl around you and it will continue to rise upon your body until it reaches up to your neck and you're barely able to breathe. You're drowning in Assyria. Beloved, what is presently in your life that you have replaced God? Something that was convenient, immediate, impressive, seemed powerful and helpful, seemed like it could take care of your situation really quickly? What compromise have you made? Have you been enduring in your life because you were afraid if you didn't compromise that you might be suddenly left without something? What relationship have you allowed to come into your life as a replacement for God? Oh, you know it's uh, already overflowing its banks and starting to swirl around your life and pulling you away from the things of God. What sin did you turn to because it was right there and was such an easy alternative and seemed to feel so good, make you feel better? Beloved, these things never remain domesticated. They never stay in their channels. Their intention all along is opportunistic. Just like Assyria. Oh, sure, they cut a deal with Judah. 
yeah, we'll help your enemies because we've got an eye on your land too. We'll take you. Sin, Satan, never plans to just help you out for a while and then walk away. It plans to dominate your life. And God is saying, you can have me. I, I may be quiet right now. I, I may appear to be in hiding. I, I may not appear to be answering your situation as quickly as you think it should be taken care of. Or, or you can turn to the immediate, the convenient, the alternative, make an alliance. But it won't carry you. It will eventually carry you away. God comes to Isaiah the prophet a third time. He spoke to me with his strong hand, it says here. Have you ever felt the strong hand of God upon you? Pressing you? Pressing upon your heart? because of what you've been doing and the way you've been living. He talks to Isaiah about all the voices he's hearing. There's lots of voices around us. Voices of conspiracy. Voices that are shouting out, let's make Judah great again. I know what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. We need to secure our borders. We need to kick out all the Israelites and kick out all the Syrians. That's what we need to do. We've got to take care of the ecological situation here in Judah. If we're going to transport our olive oil, we've got to decide whether we, we run it in pipelines under the ground or, or we put it in chariots and, and truck it across the land. Let's make Judah great again. Let's get all the nations together and just have a great big hug. I know, we could call it the, the United Nations. That's what we could do. Let's agree to end racism. So the people, the old man sitting at the gates, having a Starbucks together. Now, old men don't do that, do they? Old men have McDonald's coffee. It's much cheaper. It's better, too. I wouldn't know. I don't even like coffee. I'm hoping McDonald's will send me a free gift certificate. Maybe we should include all the religious faiths. That was Ahaz's idea. If we could just get all of the religious faiths in one room and all agree... We can make Judah great again. Lots of voices out there called conspiracy voices. It's all kinds of conspiracy theories. You know, um, the more you listen to conspiracy theories, the less likely you are to pay attention to the truth when it's revealed to you. 
That's why he says here, don't listen. Don't listen to these conspiracy theories. How do we make the church great again? Gimmicks, social cooperatives. Maybe we should put our confidence in politics. What do you think? Would that make the church great again? I, um, I received an email this week. Remember I told you I like the real fast delete thing? I was going to delete it really quickly. And then I thought, wait a second, this would be a great illustration for my sermon. December 6, 2016. The title was this. 40 ways to increase baptisms in the next year. 40 ways to increase baptisms in the next year. Now that caught my attention. But it also raised my ire. I was upset when I read that. I thought, this is a church leader sending me a new gimmick on how to increase baptisms this year. I don't need 40 ways. We don't need 40 ways. There's one way to increase baptisms this year. Do you know what that is? Obey Jesus. That's it. Obey Jesus. And that's exactly what God tells Isaiah here. Don't listen to all these how to make Judah great again, how to make the church great again, how to, how to, all the conspiracy going on. Don't fear what they fear. Don't dread what they dread. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. A reverent fear of God. You know what that translates into? Obedience. How do I know that I'm reverencing the Lord? How do I know that I fear the Lord? I obey him. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. I don't need 40 ways, 40 gimmicks on how to, how to increase our baptisms this year. I just need that one way. Just trust Christ and obey his word. When Peter, the disciple, was being, when he was preaching and the people said, what must we do? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because he has forgiven your sins. There's a simple answer to how do we make the church great again. Be loyal to God. Serve Christ. Obey him. Reverence him. Treat him as holy in your life. Because our relationship with God is the only factor that determines our destiny. Your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only factor. If we can agree that Jesus is the ultimate reality and that every other effect, every other thing in your life is an effect of Jesus who tweaks the universe at his will then our relationship with Jesus Christ is the only factor that determines your destiny. Doesn't it then fit? Doesn't it just fall to reason that we would give all our heart 
passion and commitment to him, that's what's being told here. Because if God is removed from the center of your life, life doesn't make sense. Life doesn't work. And so he says here that you can have, thirdly, therefore, you can have God as a sanctuary to those who obey him or a stone or a rock that you will trip over for the rest of your life to those who disobey him. For God, it's an either-or proposition in life. There's no fuzzy world with God. He's, he doesn't have a, a margin area. He doesn't have a gray kind of foggy area. He says, I will be a sanctuary or I will be a stone and a rock that causes you to stumble. Either you will come to me for rest and security and to be taken care of or I will put in your way myself. I'll be in your way. You will fall over me. You will trip over me. You will stumble over me and uses words in the text like snare, trap, fall, broken, snared, captured. It's not bad enough that you carry around the name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, but do you want to carry around the characteristic in your life that is snared and trapped and broken and fallen and shattered? God is appealing to his people. Don't turn away from me to things that want to overtake and destroy your life. Rather, turn to me and I will be your sanctuary. I will take care of you while you are waiting for me. I will be your rest while it seems like I am hiding. I will be your place of refuge when the enemy is bearing down on you. God is completely exclusive in how life works. He is either your sanctuary or he is your stone rock that trips you up. And why would he do that? He doesn't want you to enjoy the life of moving away from him. He wants you back. And he'll trip you up if he has to to get you back because he loves you so much. And finally, he says, um, verse 19, when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists, when you start look, searching for other voices and other answers, you can either have the light from heaven or the doom and gloom of human darkness, but you can't have both. If the moralists and relativists and spiritists had any answer that could help you, then Christmas was a waste of God's energy, as was Easter. That's the message here. That's the message of Christmas. Why did God go to all of this bother? Because there is no solution here on earth. There is no light from within us. We can't, give a, can't invite the nations to have a group hug. Why don't they? Because they can't. The light is not available from us. If it was, it would come out from us. The light had to come to us from heaven. God had to send his one and only son. God himself had to visit us at Christmas. God with us, Emmanuel. 
God had to take our sins upon him at Easter that we might have a relationship restored with him. If we could restore our relationships with one another, if we could live moral lives, lives of, of, of purity and holiness, then God, without God, he wasted his time. Are you going to listen to those who are dead speaking for the, those who are alive? Is that what you want to listen to? Those who whisper and mutter, those who are ventriloquists? God says, my word stands. I'm the ultimate reality. I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm about to tweak the timeline of judgment in, before your very eyes. Isaiah's wife is going to have this baby, and this baby is going to be named what I say it's going to be named. I mean, this is the God who prophesies the birth of a baby. See if the spiritists, see if the mediums can do that. Listen, beloved. The demons and everybody else are trapped in the same time we are trapped in. God alone is the one eternal over all things. He speaks with authority. He speaks to the words and they take place. This is his word to us. Don't turn to other words. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn when someone is coming to bring you advice or someone is coming to tell you how you can make this better and this greater, church better and all of that, if you don't come to me with this word, I'm not listening to you. And neither should you. We fall for false things so easily. We're so gullible. I drew a box around verse 16 and 17, and with this we'll wrap it up, because it's really the centerpiece of our hope. He says to Isaiah, and he's saying this to you, whoever you are out there who really love the Lord with all of your heart, here's what he's saying to you. Bind up this testimony. Take this truth that you received this morning and hold it tight in your heart. Seal up the law among my disciples. Take this into your very soul and live on it, feast on it. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, because this message is for his true disciples, then wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. When other options are available to you but are not from God, you wait for the Lord. When other immediate solutions and sin that seems to be so attractive is sitting there calling your name, you wait for the Lord. When it looks to you like a compromise might move you along just a little bit and maybe you'll feel a little bit better, you, disciple, wait for the Lord. Even though it appears like he is hiding his face from you because you're not getting the answer that you're hoping that you would get and you're not getting it as soon as you feel like you need it, you wait for the Lord. Because disciples, loyal to Jesus Christ, put their trust in him.
That's who we are. That's what we do. And those who put their trust in him will never be disappointed. He will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, he says here in verse 10, they'll all around you be devising their strategies, but they will be thwarted. They will be proposing their plans around you, but they will not stand for Emmanuel, God is with us. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz is them. Emmanuel is us. Praise God. You either follow him or you fall over him, but you cannot bypass him. Christ will never allow you to bypass him. You will follow him or fall over him. And my recommendation to you from Isaiah's words are follow the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of your body because Emmanuel, God is with you. Our Father, I thank you for your challenge to us. And Lord, not only do you give us your word and challenge us with your word, but you're the only one who can cause your word to take effect in our lives. Only you and only the power of God and the power of the Spirit of God working in our life will cause us to, to receive and welcome this truth and for it to operate in our lives. And so, O oh God, from first to last, you are the reality. And you cause all other effects. So, Lord God, would you please visit all of your people here this morning, Emmanuel, and help us, oh God, by your strength to chase away all of the things we've allowed to swirl around in our life and are creeping up to our neck and are threatening to drown us and to steal us away from loyalty to you. I pray, O oh God, for Jesus' sake, amen.